Welcome to the Victory Life Church podcast. We believe it's important to present an uncomplicated and uncluttered view of Christ and how we should live. We hope this podcast inspires you and helps build your faith. If you ever find yourself in the area, come check us out. For more information on services and events, visit us at blcministries.com and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at VLC Plantation. We're here continuing our series on the other side of worship. This was one way to worship, uplifted hands, a voice, a praise, a thought, and Jesus is receiving our adoration as an incense offering unto him. But we find there are way many more ways to worship God than just uplifted hands. In fact, those are some ways that are really, really pleasing unto him. And as we open up the book of Malachi, we've looked at some of those ways that we can worship God. One is by loving him back. You see, there were six kind of debates going on with God. You say you love us, God, but how come I'm not being blessed? God is saying to those in Israel and to us today, One of the ways you worship me is to love me back. If you love me, what? Obey me. How are you doing in your obedience to God? Then they were kind of accusing God of not blessing them, and he said, well, you have not honored my name. Now, we know we can dishonor God's name by taking his name in vain. Perhaps you've not done that, but be careful about how you say, oh God. We say that enough that be careful, okay? Because we just want to show reverence for his name. But there's another way to show reverence for his name, and that's what you bring to God, your offerings. And he talked about that. He said, you honor your, your concerts more than you do me and those who, you pay them good money and you visit people, like people what to visit the queen, and honor her in her burial. Many brought gifts. Can you see someone opening up their closet and pulling out an old tie that they didn't like and giving it to the queen as a gift and signing their name? God said, you're doing that to me. You say you love me. You say you worship me, but you're, you're tipping me like you do some of your waiters and waitresses. He said also, you're not honoring my name, therefore you're not worshiping me if you do not live for me or you do not teach the truth about me. So he was telling the priest, listen, you're coming to church and you're raising your hands and you're giving your offerings and I'm not pleased because of these things I brought to your attention. And now we're about to bring something to all of our attention that's not taught in the schools, that perhaps is not even being taught in the homes. And that is the institution of marriage that is very sacred to God. And it's going to touch each one of us today. When we, when we preach God's word, sometimes we teach God's word. And today, it's a teaching that we all need to embrace. What is God's view on this institution called marriage. So I've entitled this morning's message, 
unfaithfulness robs our usefulness. I'm not saying if you're saved, you lose your salvation. I'm saying that if we do not honor this institution of marriage, which the world doesn't, our school system doesn't, our neighbors don't, but we do. See, our marching orders are found in the Word of God. And he said, when we're unfaithful, we lose our usefulness. So let's read Malachi 2 as we approach another debatable subject with God. They're debating back and forth with God. Why are we not being blessed? Why are you not restoring us to our former glory that David and Solomon once enjoyed, that you actually promised all of us that one day you would do that? How come we're in the predicament we're in? We're coming to church. We're raising our hands. We're giving our offering. How come it seems like I am not receiving your favor in my life? They were crying that out, and perhaps maybe you're crying that out right now. God, I need your favor. And so he brings something to their attention, and that is their thinking on this institution called marriage. Here's what he tells us, beginning of verse 10. Do we not all have one father? Did not one God create us? Why do we profane the covenant of our ancestors? By being unfaithful to one another. Judah has been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and in Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the sanctuary. Think about the church. How? That the Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign god. Or basically does not love God. As for the man who does this, whoever he may be, may the Lord remove him from the tents of Jacob. Get him out. He's going to remove you if you reject the teaching out of the church, out of his protection. Even though he brings an offering to the Lord Almighty. Wow. Another thing you do, you flood the Lord's altar with tears. You weep and wail because he no longer looks with favor on your offering or accepts them with pleasure from your hands. You ask, why? It is because the Lord is the witness between you and the wife of your youth. You have been unfaithful to her, though she is your partner, the wife of your marriage covenant. Has not the Lord God made you? You belong to him in body and in spirit. And what does the Lord seek? This is really the reason why by the way, a godly offspring. This is why he's revealing this to us. 
because this is what he desired from Israel so they would stand out in the whole world he wants you to stand out he wants the church to stand out he wants you to have a godly marriage so that you can produce a godly offspring so be on your guard and do not be unfaithful to the wife of your youth he doesn't stop there The man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord Almighty. So be on your guard and do not be unfaithful. Before I pray, I want to say this. I know so many of you. I'm a shepherd. I'm a teacher of the Word of God, and I want to be an example. You could be turning me off at this time because already you and me see where we have fallen short of the blueprint that God has laid out. Can I tell you all of us are in the same boat? Our sins may be different, but we've all failed God. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. All have sinned. The good news is God is willing to forgive us. So as I teach this, try not to turn your hearing aid off. Try not to harden your heart. See, a believer loves the Word of God. They love to be corrected, amen? We don't mind that. It, it may hurt a little. It may sting a little. It may cause some tears. It may cause some regret. But that's every single human being on the face of this earth. Can one claim he or she is better because they didn't commit that sin? But didn't God tell us if you've broken one commandment, what? You've broken them all. So please, I, I'm not trying to set someone free, but understand we're all in the same boat. And I hope you see the compassion of my heart that I want God to speak through me. And I don't, you're not my children, but when I speak to my kids and my grandkids and I really, really am going to get on to them for something. I try to get softer, more gentler, because I want them to get it. We in this generation need to get it, because what you're hearing today, you will not get anywhere else. In fact, Israel was not teaching it. They were watering down the word. In fact, even today, preachers will not preach us from the pulpit because they're worried that you might leave the church and then you might not give anything to the church. I do care about you. I do love you. But I don't love you more than God. Therefore, I must teach the truth in love. Will you allow me that today? And so here goes. Strap up your belt. Put on your steel-toed shoes because... All of us fall under the indictment of God. So, Father, please speak through me, your servants. As I think about how you looked out over Israel, oh, Jerusalem, oh, Jerusalem, how I wanted to take you under my wings like a mother hen does her chicks. You just reeked with compassion and tears. The people that you loved harden their hearts and their minds not to listen to you 
And I pray, Father, that you will bind the enemy from attacking the minds of anybody in here and those looking in online. And that the desire of our hearts would be in agreement with you. Speak to your servant so I'll say the things you want me to say. Avoid the things you want me to avoid. May they see you through the speaker. In Jesus' name is my prayer. All God's people said, amen, amen. Well, the first thing that he starts off with is their unfaithfulness to him and then to each other. Let me explain. In verse 10, he said, We're, are we not all children of the same father? Are we not all created by the same God? You see, they were, he told them over and over again, Israel, do not link arms with the other nations because they worship foreign gods. You have one father. You have one God. But you have dishonored my name. You see, in Exodus 6, 7, he reminds Israel and reminds us today that he said, I will take you as my own people. And I will be your God above all the nations of the world. Can you imagine God saying, hey, who wants me to be their God? And can you picture somebody standing there? Pick me, select me. Nobody did that. But God selected Israel to be his own people. He said, I will be your God. And then you'll know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptian slavery. You'll know that it is me, and nobody else could do that. And, and the Israelites knew that. And they would repeat this prayer over and over again in Deuteronomy 6.4. Hear, O Israel, the Shema. The Lord God, the Lord is one. In Deuteronomy 32.6, Moses reminds the people of this. Is this the way you repay the Lord, you foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father, your creator? Isn't this what Malachi is saying to the people? Am I not your father, your creator, who made you and formed you? Then Jeremiah 3 adds to this. I myself said, how gladly I would treat you like my children and give you a pleasant land. The most beautiful inheritance of any nation. I thought you would call me father. And not turn away from following me. But like a woman unfaithful to her husband. You, Israel, have been unfaithful to me, declares the Lord. You see, he always uses the institution of marriage to help describe his relationship with Israel his relationship with the church, and his relationship with you and me. We are his bride. And when we don't love him as number one, remember, I must come before your father, your mother, your brother, your sister, even your own life, then you and me are worshiping other gods, and we have been unfaithful to him. Then when we become unfaithful to God, we become unfaithful to each other. Notice back in Malachi again. Are we not all children of the same father? Are we not all created by the same God? 
then why do we betray each other, violating the covenant of our ancestors? When we are not faithful to God, it affects the community. It affects the church. It affected the nation of Israel. You don't believe that? Remember when David the king, he, he didn't ever lose his place and his standing with God. But when he was unfaithful by committing adultery with Bathsheba, he lost his usefulness. Not altogether. But he weeped and he cried and God didn't hear him when he said, spare my son that he had with Bathsheba. And the boy died. And then he wanted to build a church or a temple for God. He wanted to do that for the Lord. God said, no, you can't do that because you have blood on your hands. Because he had killed Uriah, Bathsheba's husband. When we are unfaithful to God, it affects the community. And we lose our usefulness. Let me take it a little bit further. Israel lost her place in the world. God sold them into captivity because they whored after other gods. Not altogether, but they lost their usefulness. Today, God says to you and me as the church, he said, you were bought with a price. Therefore, honor God with your bodies. He owns us. And he wants us to honor him with our bodies. You are a new creation. The old things have been done away with. He said, if you love me, obey me. Israel's unfaithfulness robbed them of their usefulness for God's glory. There's a lot of churches that have lost their usefulness because the pastors are not teaching the truth of God and the people don't understand the blueprint for marriage. And therefore, they do not follow God's ways and they impact their marriage and their kids and their children's children. Here's what God gets to, though. It's not so much at this moment about their faithfulness to him, although it does include that. It's about the institution of marriage. Three things I see that he lays out very clearly in these passages. The first thing, the accusation of their unfaithfulness in their approach to marriage, their unfaithfulness in their marriage and their unfaithfulness in discarding the marriage. Let's look at what he tells us about their unfaithfulness in their approach to marriage. There's some young people in here that need to hear this. We need to teach our children about this from knee high to a grasshopper. We need to remind them what God has to say about this. You see, marriage is not just a contract a two-way relationship between a husband and wife, but a covenant. It's a three-way relationship of responsibilities and privileges, which God involves God as a witness to whom the couple is permanently accountable. See, here's the problem that God lays it out. Let's go back to Malachi chapter 2, verse 11. Judah 
has been unfaithful. And a detestable thing has been done in Israel. They're wondering, what detestable thing? I'm here in church. I'm praising you. I'm worshiping you. The other side of worship. God clearly lays it out. What is it? The men of Judah have defiled the Lord's beloved sanctuary by marrying women who worship idols. That means a young person today, sitting in front of me, I see some young people. How many young people in here raise their hands, okay? How many older people are looking for, seriously, looking, you're above 18 and you're looking for a spouse. Look, raise your hand. Anybody in there? Come on, I see a few of you. Okay. About middle, okay, middle age, okay. <laughs> Any older people looking to get, I think, I think there's one or two somewhere around here. Okay, so here's the approach God wants you to have, young, young man, young girl, young boy, middle-aged person, wise person. Here's the approach. He said, in Deuteronomy, he reminds us of this teaching, Deuteronomy 7. You must not intermarry with, it's not talking about ethnicity, it's not talking about race. It's talking about spirituality. You must not marry a guy or a woman that does not know Yahweh and Yeshua as their Lord and Savior. Period. The end of the story, child of God. Then why in the world are you even thinking of dating a lost person, marrying a lost person, hobnobbing with, on the phone, on social media, with someone that doesn't love God, it's going to spell disaster for the rest of your life and for your children and for your children's children. You've got to get that through your skull, son. That's what I would tell my children. You know, I get low and then I get high and I get low. And my honey can't wait till I get down low again. It says, do not let your daughters and your sons marry their sons and daughters. Here's why. Is it, is it that God is depriving you of a nice, handsome young man or young lady? No. He's saying, for they will lead your children away from me to worship other gods. Then the anger of the Lord will burn against you. And he will quickly destroy you. That's the blueprint that you must tell your children. Again, I want to remind you, many of us were not faithful to this. We didn't know what the blueprints were. Or perhaps you did know what the blueprints were and you rebelled against God. There is mercy and there is grace at the cross. I always want to remind that person of that. When someone comes in the, for counseling, and I always start off, first of all, reminding them of my own shortcomings without confessing all my sins so that we can relate, so that I never want to look down my nose at anybody because I know I too have fallen short of the glory of God. But still, even though we did not do things perfectly, we still must teach the perfect way. Amen? And in Malachi 2.11, he said, Judah, you have been unfaithful. A detestable thing has been committed in Israel and Jerusalem. Judah has desecrated the church. 
or the sanctuary. The Lord loves. Remember, the zeal for his house caused God to get angry, Jesus to get angry when he walked into the temple. My house would be called a house of prayer. He loves the church. He gave his life for the church. And when we, when we just yawn at these truths, God is not pleased. He said, Judah has desecrated the sanctuary. The Lord loves by marrying women who worship a foreign God. That means they whore after other things. The girl that you're going after. The guy that you're going after that you think's a hunk. Yeah, he's a hunk, a hunk of junk. If he doesn't, <laughs> if he doesn't love God. If he doesn't love God. And she might be looking beautiful on the outside, but she looks like Frankenstein on the inside. That's what God is saying. Now, he's saying this to us today. You think that's, okay, you're, this is the Old Testament, right? New Testament. The new covenant. He didn't change. God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. He said in 2 Corinthians 6, 14, do not be yoked. Now, that might be a foreign word to say. You, you young people know what yoke means? It's two little, think of two handcuffs. Okay, two handcuffs only on an animal. Okay, yoked together. And that means don't be stuck together. Don't marry. He said, don't be yoked together with an unbeliever. And he tells you why. Why? Well, what does a, a saint have to do with a Satanist? He says, what does righteousness and wickedness have in common? Or, what fellowship can light have with darkness? He's appealing to our common sense about marriage. What harmony is there between Christ and Belial, Satan? Or, notice how many, how many, um, thank you, boy, wow, hey man, hallelujah, how many examples, <laughs> I'm thinking about so many things up here, thank you for that, how many examples he's given us, he goes on to say, what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever, what agreement is there between the temple of God and idols? We are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will live with them and walk among them, and I will be their God, and they will be my people. Okay. God is telling Israel and us as a church, we're coming to worship. We're wondering why his favor isn't upon us. We're wondering why our prayers aren't being answered, because we have taken lightly his blueprint for marriage and our approach to marriage. So if you're thinking about it right now, young people, middle-aged people, wise people, stop it right now. End the relationship if you want the favor of God. But if you'd rather have favor of that hunk, then you're going to get the favor of his junk. That's the truth. You're going to get all of his junk. Now, here's another thing. You see, in our approach to marriage, people have approached intimacy as if it's a game, as if it's an activity, as if it's a sport. That's the world's approach to this institution of marriage and this subject of intimacy. Can I spell it very plainly in three words or three letters? 
spelling it backwards is X-E-S. Spell it forward is what? S-E-X. Sex. All of a sudden, people start smiling when I say sex. Some of you are frowning. What is that? Well, I better not go there. Sometimes when we try to nail home a truth, we lighten the mood just for a moment so that we can breathe and go, okay, I need to hear what God has to say about the subject of sex. He said in 1 Corinthians 6, you say food for the stomach and stomach for the food. 1 Corinthians 6. And God will destroy them both. The body, however, is not the Lord for the Lord. Oh, wait, excuse me. The body is not meant for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. You might write, jot this down, 1 Corinthians 6, 13 through 18. If you don't know, I thought we might have it on the screen, but maybe we don't. He said, by his power, God raised the Lord from the dead, and he will raise us also. Do you not know that your bodies are a member of Christ himself? Wow. Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with the prostitutes? Never. I want to pause and tell you something. <clears throat> I believe this is, I believe it's scriptural, and I'm paraphrasing this. There's two ways to get married. Oh, you didn't know that, did you? I believe there's a couple that are wiser, but wiser, you know what I mean by that. And perhaps they, they want to get married for companionship. So they get married. They sign an agreement. They make a covenant before God. We're one. All that I have, I'm yours. But perhaps they're past the years of intimacy, and that's the reason they get married, for companionship. You guys follow me, don't you? I'm not speaking a foreign language. But I don't think any of us knew when we were growing up, unless you grew up in the church, what God is saying in this passage. And that is, he's saying that if you join yourself with someone, opposite sex we're talking about. I want to go into the same sex stuff. I'm talking about opposite sex. And you're not willing to get married and you say, but I want to have sex. And you unite with that person. In God's eyes, you have become one. Now, let me finish the verse with that in mind. Okay, let's go back. Verse 25, if you want to open your Bibles or on your, on your uh, phones in 1 Corinthians 6. Do not you know that your bodies are members of Christ himself? <clears throat> Shall I then take the members of Christ and unite them with the prostitute? So he gives... Uh, uh, a really uh, absurd example to try to nail home this truth. Never. Do you not know that he who unites himself with a prostitute is one with her body? For it is said, the two, so if you think this is just preacher talk, you have sex with someone, God sees you as one. He said, but whoever is united with the Lord is one with him in spirit. And back up again. The two will become one flesh when they commit that intimate act. He says, flee sexual immorality. All other sins a person commits are outside the body. But whoever sins sexually sins against their own body. The penalty, the penalty. 
then and even now. Malachi 2. Back to verse 12. May the Lord cut off from the nation of Israel. It gets now pointing fingers. Every last man who has done this and yet brings an offering to the Lord of heaven's armies. And let me bring it home. It's a lot of sexual immorality going on. And we wonder why when we pray to God, the heavens don't open and favor does not fall upon us. We wonder why the Holy Spirit may not be pouring out his best on us. Because of our unfaithfulness, we lose our usefulness. Now, please remember this. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. He said, if you will confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. But please understand that our sin has a consequence to it. Let me continue in Deuteronomy 7.4 about this activity that we take lightly. Then the anger of the Lord will burn against you and he will quickly destroy you. He's speaking, of course, to the nation, but also to the individual we just read, where he's talking to the individual who listens to the word of God and hardens their hearts and, and blocks out of their mind. I, I don't want to hear this. There will become a curse on your life as spelled out in Malachi chapter 2. In fact, the blessings I will turn into cursings as I already have. You think God looks lightly on this activity? Not at all. Let me tell you one other thing that he did to kind of nail home the seriousness of the subject matter of having sex outside of marriage or blowing smoke about the institution of marriage. I myself have failed in these areas because before I became a believer, I thought the way the world did and lived with people. But when I became a believer, I began to understand the blueprint that I never heard before. Went to Catholic school, went to Catholic churches. In my home, I, I never heard this preached. And I wasn't taught this. And so please understand that Many of us were not taught this, but you are being taught it now. And when we teach it, God wants you to respond to it. Here's what he says in Numbers 25. So Moses ordered Israel's judges. This is after they were committing adultery and idol worship, and, and Moses was coming off the mountain. And after all that God had done, they went right back to the worldly ways. He said, so Moses ordered Israel's judges. He said, each one of you must put to death the men under your authority who have joined in worshiping Baal of Peor. In other words, the women enticed them. They engaged in the activity, and they ended up in the activity that the women were engaged into. You can always flip the script, man and woman. It takes two to tangle. We agree with that? It's both. It's including both. He's just pointing out it in this manner. He said, just then, one of the Israelite men brought a, a Midianite woman into his tent 
right before the eyes of Moses. He didn't give a rip what the church said, what the pastor said. They just left and went and did what they wanted. That's what he's saying. And right before Moses, while everyone was weeping at the entrance of the tabernacle because the curse of God was upon them, the judging hand of God was upon them. We'll read that in just a second. And they were weeping because of that. So when this guy, right in front of everybody, I don't care what you say, buddy, I'm going to have my girl. I'm going to have my dude. And you go ahead. And you yawn at what God is teaching. And he went right before every one of them went into the tent to make love. When Phinehas, son of Eleazar, and grandson of Aaron, the priest, saw this, he jumped up and left the assembly. He took a spear and rushed after the man into his tent. Phinehas thrust the spear all the way through the man's body and the woman's stomach. So the plague against the Israelites was stopped, but not before 24,000 people had died. Does God take serious sex outside of marriage? Absolutely. Does God take serious the institution of marriage? Yes. Now that you've heard, to them that have been given much, much is required. All you have to do is repent and believe in God and then begin to line yourself up with God. That's what all of us are doing. That's what sanctification is all about, hearing the truths of God and then saying, okay, God, I want to apply this to my life. Also, he said in Malachi, not only do we get a glimpse of what happened then, but in Malachi, he's saying, these people that are engaged in this activity that could give a rip about me, they're not worrying who they're marrying, they're having sex with anybody. He said, may the Lord cut off from the nation of Israel every last man who has done this and yet brings an offering to the Lord of heaven's army. Do you get the picture? People are filling our churches with this kind of activity, raising their hands, praising God in false worship, giving to God, and he's saying, listen, I want them out of the church. You don't want to be cut off from God's blessings. Understand why God is so upset about an approach to a woman in this manner in Ezra 9.2. He said, for the men of Israel have married women from these people and have taken them as their wives for their sons. So the holy race has become polluted by these mixed marriages. Worse yet, the leaders, the preachers, the pastors, officials have led the way in this outrage. And that's happening all across the world and in our nation. The pastors are not setting the example. They're not preaching a biblical worldview because they're so worried about you in the pew. The Israelites became less and less useful to God till they finally said, Ichabod, and the glory of God departed from Israel. Verse 15 kind of points out again and reinforces what Ezra just said in Malachi 2. Has not the Lord, the God, made you one 
You belong to him in body and spirit. And what does the Lord God seek? Godly offspring. I'm getting ready to go to Georgia to do a wedding. And every time I do a wedding, I always remind them that this is one of the great purposes of marriage. Is that you give God back a godly offspring. That's what he desires from your union. Number two, what some great counselor said, that what if God made marriage to make you holy rather than happy? First and foremost, he wants you to be content and happy in marriage, but what if he wants to make you holy? Holy means separate you. He wanted to separate Israel from all the nations of the world so they would look at the nation of Israel and go, Yahweh is God. He wants the church to be functioning in such a way that the lost world comes in or sees us as we scatter. And Jesus is Lord. He is the only way to the Father. I am the life, the truth, and the way. That's what he wants to do through your marriage relationship, through your dating relationship. If it's not right, you have time to correct it. The priests were becoming useless because they were partially preaching the word of God. We will say today, they water down the word of God. I'll tell you the truth, and I believe it with all my heart. You have a great preacher in Jacob, and you have a mediocre preacher in me. False humility. Did that sound like false humility? I'm sorry, Lord. But they're watering down the word so much that the people don't know what the blueprints are because they want to please the people. And I believe our church would be triple, quadruple if we decided we would not touch on these issues. I know that for a fact because I've gotten letters. I'm not sending my children to this church because you are not open-minded to this issue and to other issues. I hope as I'm preaching this that you see the restraint in me, in my emotions, that I understand all of us have broken God's laws. But when we hear it, that's the time to correct it. See, he says, unfaithfulness in your approach to marriage may render your worship useless and your usefulness to God. Let me repeat that again unfaithfulness in your approach to marriage over these two things I just talked about may render your worship useless and your usefulness to God. No one wants to be put on the shelf in God's kingdom. He brings out another accusation, and that is their unfaithfulness once they got married, their unfaithfulness in marriage. Now, this will indict all of us. Malachi 2, 13 through 14 again. Again, the predicament of Israel, a great nation. Other nations conquered them. They came back. They had been there for 100 years. They're wondering when God's going to restore the kingdom as he promised to the prophets. Nothing's happening. Their, their crops aren't producing like they used to. They're not having children like they used to. The enemies had conquered them. And they had a whole hum attitude about their approach to worship and giving their offerings and sacrifices. So 
he reminds them there's another problem, and that is your unfaithfulness in marriage. Here's another thing you do, verse 13. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to you, your offerings, and doesn't accept them with pleasure. Do you recall an incident in Scripture where that happened? Do you remember Cain and Abel, two first young men on the face of this planet? Abel came with a right heart, with a good offering, with a quality offering. It was all God's. That was the first act of worship in giving. If you think giving is minor, if you think giving is minor, then you don't know God. You're giving back to him what is his. But then Cain decided to be obedient to what God said in his word. So he bebops with his attitude and hard heart and his hatred toward his brother. Remember, you cannot hate your brother and worship God. You cannot hate your brother because of the color of the skin or because of their ethnicity or because of what they have or don't have. You cannot worship God. You cannot. It's an impossibility because it's the seed of murder. Now, there's a different consequence if you murder someone, but God equates it with murder. He said, so you cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings and doesn't accept them with pleasure. You cry out, fast and pray. Why doesn't the Lord accept my worship? I tell you why. Because the Lord witnessed the vows you and your wife made when you were young. But you've been unfaithful to her. Though she remained your faithful partner, the wife of your marriage vows. You see, it's a three-way relationship. It's not just a two-way. That, that, that is something most couples don't understand. Remember, you become unfaithful, and this is not about sexual sins, but I must hit on it one time. All of us who have been married, all of us, if you've coveted another man or you lusted after another woman, God said you have committed adultery. If you looked at pornography, if you've lusted after others, if you looked on social media, if you desire to have another marriage because the one you're in you don't like and you've meditated on it, all of us have committed adultery. Because remember, like hate, God said, when you lust after someone, you have committed adultery. Remember, he said this to the religious leaders who sat around and boasted, well, I, I, I haven't gone, I, I haven't had an affair, I haven't gone to bed with another woman. And he said, wait a minute, I'm going to uncover your heart. When you lusted, you, you just didn't want to be caught, you would lose your position and your status in the community, so you didn't follow through on it. But I want to tell you, you're just as guilty. I understand and you understand there is a different consequence while you're living. But from God's viewpoint, Google out, zoom out. This is what he thinks about it. We have been unfaithful. What do we do with this? We repent. Praise God for the gifts he lavishes upon the church. What are those gifts the world knows nothing about and doesn't even understand their gifts? What are those gifts? Forgiveness. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you of all your sins and cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. Mercy, not giving you and me what we deserve. He 
He lavishes that on us. His mercies are fresh each morning. Remember that in Psalms? Grace. Getting what you don't deserve. Salvation is a gift from God. Forgiveness is a gift from God. He is willing. You know, I'm, I'm so sad because of the, the filth in the church is just rampant. And then even in our own lives, everywhere we go, it's just constant bombard by the world. We've got to stay on our knees. We have to fight the good fights. We need each other. And your conduct affects me and my conduct affects you. Iron sharpens iron. We need accountability voluntarily. That's why you want to come to a church in a Bible study that teaches the truth of God in love. Probably in my younger years and my 30s, if I had preached this, I would have preached it totally different because I would have done it arrogantly, proudfully, boastfully, not understanding that I come under the same judgment of those I'm preaching to. Now I preach it with a lot more reverence, a lot more humility, a lot more softer because I realize all of us have fallen short. And I'm talking about those after they believe in God. That doesn't mean we committed the same sins. But just because I have not married another woman and divorced my wife doesn't mean I'm guiltless or you're guiltless. I hunger for the blessings of God. I hunger for the favor of God. Don't you? I hunger for him to bless. I hunger for his presence. I, I love his blessings. I, I, I love his blessings. You love his blessings. But to walk with God, to walk with Jesus, to not have to fear, to have the peace of God, to have the certainty of God is worth more than anything this world has to offer. And it can be found very quickly in repentance. Well, affairs, emotional affairs, all are signs you have broken faith with the wife of your youth. The penalty, again in Malachi 2, 13 through 14. Here's another thing you do. You cover the Lord's altar with tears, weeping and groaning because he pays no attention to your offerings. As a pastor, I hear the cries in the hearts of those dating, those in marriage, those are wanting to be married. And with their own mouth, I hear the confession that they're not following the blueprints of God's word. One of the biggest ones is lack of forgiveness. How can you have a holy marriage if you won't forgive one another? You're not faithful to one another. And so he continues and says, I, 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 he pays no attention to your offering. See, it would be tempting not to even tell you this because maybe a few of you might leave this church and then you won't give an offering. But I can't worry about that. I know from who, who is my provider, Jehovah Jireh. He's my provider. He's your provider. And so we can't worry about that. You teach that in your home. You teach that in the Bible studies. We teach that in the church. God said the consequences. He doesn't accept their weeping. He doesn't accept their offering. And you lose favor with him. Your approach to marriage and your faithfulness to your spouse matters to God, for it is your act of worship. This is the other side 
to worship the title of our series in Malachi. It's not all about worshiping him with open arms. As Jacob has said many times, that it's easy to do that here, isn't it? It's easy to do that here, but now go out and do it out there. And God's describing to you and me in the book of Malachi, there's another side to what worshiping the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit is all about. And he's uncovering for you and me, and marriage is front and center right now. The last thing I'll say is this. There was an accusation of unfaithfulness in discarding the marriage. Their approach to marriage, their faith, faithlessness in marriage, and discarding the marriage. I understand now, as I teach this and preach this, there will be people in listening in online or here today that this has happened. Again, keep your hearing aid on. Keep your heart open. God hates divorce. He said that. I didn't say that. If he hadn't said that, my wife would have divorced me a long time ago. <laughs> if he hadn't said that, I would have divorced her a long time ago out of stupidity. Perhaps that's happened to you. Because I didn't divorce my wife, there are people in marriage that are committing atrocities and treachery that are married. So just because they didn't get that bill of divorce doesn't mean they're better. In my church that I first served in, <clears throat> we got leaders, and they would say, over in this side are the divorced people, and over here are the people that have not gotten divorced. Pastor, I don't want you looking over here at all at the divorced people to find your leadership. I went back into my study, and I said, God, something is not right about that. There was a man in the church that had been married three times. He had been following the Lord diligently for the last 10 years. I made him one of the leaders of the church. The church didn't like that. Here was the people over here still holding grudges, still lack of forgiveness, still unfaithful to their spouse, even though they hadn't got divorced. And you want me to select the leaders from the people over here? I knew that didn't line up with the truths that God was teaching in his word. Divorce doesn't render you useless. Please understand that. If you've repented of that, God forgives you just like he will forgive me of any sin that I've ever committed. Please understand that. But we still have to preach the truth, amen? We still need to, in our homes and in our Bible studies, lay out the blueprints. Because if we don't get it, then God's going to bring his wrath upon us, collectively and individually. He said, I hate divorce. Why? It's being unfaithful to God first. He said, those who want to please God certainly wouldn't want to do anything that God so abhors. He said, I, I hate divorce. Remember also in Proverbs, he said, there's six things I dislike, seven things I hate. Boy, when God says something he hates, it ought to perk up your attention. He goes on he said, God gave Adam one wife, 
not many. He declared that the two were one flesh, Genesis 2. Divorce pulls apart that which God put together. And Jesus warned us not to do that in Matthew chapter 19. He said it's like an act of violence in an area where there ought to be tenderness. Let me say this again. I quote, God hates divorce. Ponder that fact for a while. A social worker said churches should be more sensitive to divorce people for they are hurting. Yes. And they've hurt a great multitude of people, especially the children. Maybe divorced people need to be more sensitive about hurting people. If they were, they would not be divorcing. Divorce is selfish. The divorced person thinks only of themselves, not of those they may hurt. By the divorce. Divorce is a curse on a community, and God hates it. So see, in our relationship to God, it hurts. But it's cruelty to the wife or perhaps the husband. Malachi 2.16 says, to divorce your wife is to overwhelm them with cruelty, says the Lord of heaven's armies. So guard your heart. Do not be unfaithful to your wife. In the NIV, it says, not only brings cruelty, but violence. It says, the man who hates and divorces his wife, says the Lord, the God of Israel, does violence to the one he should protect, says the Lord. So be on your guard. Of course, the penalty, we've just discussed it. Once again, when I, I preach the truth of God, I realize it falls on all of us. And you know that God has worked through me this morning to be sensitive and caring and loving. The person that got the divorce is not worse than the person that didn't get the divorce. Please hear that. I'm speaking the truth of God. But there's just a different consequence. You would agree with me? If I hate someone, Yes, it hurts me. It rots me on the inside. It hurts my relationship with people. It hurts the church. And God said he will not receive my worship. But we would agree that there's a different consequence if I go ahead and murder the person. The same thing with divorce. You can be forgiven. The same thing with infidelity. You can be forgiven. The same thing with unfaithfulness. The same thing with affairs. The same thing with pornography. You can be forgiven. The same thing with lusting after someone else's spouse. You can be forgiven. Remember, Nehemiah and Ezra were teaching this as people were coming back to the nation of Israel, expecting the blessings of God again after they just got out of captivity. And he said, all of you guys are marrying foreign women. You're, you're doing the very thing that got you in trouble in the first place. Nehemiah actually went around pulling guys' hairs out and punching them and beating them up. He literally did that. Read it in Scripture. And they all got rid of their foreign wives. Listen, now under the new covenant, if you're married to someone that is not saved, get rid of the bone. No, no, no. I, that, 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 that's not what the Scripture teaches. You 
What, what, what does your daddy and mama tell you? You made your bed, you have to lie in it. Stay married to the person unless they run from you. You are to stay married, shine brightly in that marriage by your conduct and your behavior that perhaps you will convert your spouse. That's a command from God in the New Testament. You're stuck with it. You're stuck with her. That's the price you pay. God will still love you. God will still forgive you. His blessings will be upon you. In fact, his blessings will be upon your household and your family. See, if you have the right attitude and you ask God to forgive you, you got his blessings. Hallelujah. Kind of quiet in here. Would you stand at this time, please? I could have easily broke out in the tears. My heart's heavy. It's real heavy because of these sins that are keeping the blessings of God in your life, in the life of your family and your children and your children's children and in the life of this church. It will keep this church from prospering. All you have to do, all you have to do is come clean with God. If you will confess your sin, he is faithful to to cleanse you from all your unrighteousness. He said, I will cast your sin as far as the east is from the west, and I will remember it no more. Then you open up the windows of heaven, and he will pour out blessings on you. Jake is going to get that to that part in a couple weeks. So would you return to God? Where did you move away from God? Would you ask him to forgive you and get back into the center of his will? I'm not worried about what you think. But have I loved you in this church through this whole teaching of marriage and God's institution? Have I appealed to your heart and your relationship with God? If so, please repent of your sins this morning. Father, I stand in just as much need as anybody else in this church. My heart is right before you. Therefore, I could teach this. But it doesn't mean I was exempt from all the things I taught. I'm thankful that I can enjoy your blessings and your favor. And I have your blessings in your favor in spite of the ways I have failed you. Please, would you remind every believer looking in online or listening here this morning that they can have your favor again, that you will, you will see their tears again, you will hear their prayers again, Oh, if my people who are called on my name will humble themselves, seek my face and pray, then I will hear them. Come. Can you hear church God saying, come. Now let's reason together. Though your sins be as scarlet, they shall be white as snow. Though they be red like crimson, they shall be as wool. That's the love of God. That's the favor of God that he wants to put on you now. Just obey him. In Jesus' name we pray. Thanks so much for listening to this podcast. If this has blessed you, would you consider giving a financial gift to help bring this message to more people? You can do that at vlcministries.com slash give. You can also subscribe, rate, and share this podcast with your friends and family. Here's what we believe. Living God's way everywhere, every way, every day. We love you and God bless.